0: I am very grateful to be here, and I admire you. You must be doing something right for one simple reason, that today's media, I know I was the victim of it, you know. Like they say, oh, Western freedom. Yeah, but if you go a little bit towards the direction which is not, which is not which is not really not tolerated by those who nonetheless dominate the public space, you can be excluded. I know you remember we talked about it like ten years ago, I regularly appear in New York Times and so on that slowly slowly out out, and I admire you sincerely how. You were able to avoid this fate, you know, I do talk, you know, without making any compromises. Now I'm talking about you, not about this interview, you know. Well,
1: it's, but it's, but, I mean, I, I, when I interviewed you, I mean, obviously hugely, Mario, always, but I interviewed you three years ago. It feels like a different remember. Yeah, we, we were on the roof of the Guardian. The sun was shining. We got attacked by a helicopter. I don't know if you remember that. But so yeah, on, I do. I, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. This is something which I've been thinking about a lot. So really? and I, something based on what you said recently. If we think back to the financial crisis of 2008, yeah. the element on the left who thought neoliberalism has self-evidently been discredited, and from the rubble, the left will reemerge. And at least for the first few years, that didn't happen. But I know recently what you've said is the pandemic, and say this in your own words, is like a kill bill attack on capitalism. So is this different from the financial crash? Is this a crisis And, and okay, yeah. like a bill bill attack on capitalism.
0: I like that you directly attacked me a propos no, not attack me, sorry, ask the right question apropos of a point which many people now mention regularly, as haha, admit it that at least here you were wrong. No, I think still that I am right. But you know, it won't sense. We should take the forthcoming crisis of capitalism, I think, in I already developed this at some point publicly, but I think it deserves to be repeated, with uh, a category which is one of the great Marxist categories still very much of use today. The category of, how do you call it in English? Tendency law, tendency of, like As Marx explains in wonderful terms in Capital, here Marx is fully fully valid, we have a tendential law of the fall of profit rate. But this doesn't mean it is automatically falling. It means it's a tendency which which triggers a long-term struggle, ultimately class struggle, and the opposite sides, the capital uses all possible strategies to counter this, and Marx is not a determinist. It depends on the political struggle. So, it can also happen, Marx himself made this hint that in the long, not even in the short term, for a considerable time, the profit rate even raises Is getting up. But what we should not forget is that these temporary successes are nonetheless a reaction to this. You know, it's the same as uh, another point to illustrate this category, which makes uh, me hated in some circles. When we talk about back to some primordial identity, identity politics which can be given, I know, uh, leftist twist, minorities, minor races and so on, and a rightist twist, like basically the people who uh, tried to occupy or did for some time a capital were doing their own version of white identity politics. People took power, but of course, a close analysis shows that people took power meant upper, upper. Okay. Middle class was afraid of the moderate as it was progress with sexual rights, LGBT, uh, uh, against racial hatred, and so on and so on, and was reacting to this. It was a reaction to a certain tendency. In this sense, I think, and those in power know it very well, that COVID is this type of a blow. The whole strategy of those in power is to This is their formula, to return to some kind of normality and so on and so on. But this is already a mediated position. Everybody knows a radical break is here. Just look at how the structure of capitalism is changing. You know, I mentioned this a couple of times. I hope your public doesn't know it. But remember that idiot, that jerk who... Uh, uh, one of the guys most visible on the cameras, there are billionaires behind, we don't talk about them, who entered the capital with those stupid pseudo-viking uh, helmet, or rather it was a cap, with horns, you know. Is this supposed to signal probably some white supremacy, return to authentic people's power? But you know what's the beautiful irony? Do you know? Check it up on Wikipedia, wherever you want. That real Vikings never get uh, this uh, uh, horns on their helmets. This was the invention of late Romanticism. Some people, it's not clear where it appeared for the first time. Even think think in stagings of some of the early Wagner's operas. So, so we should never forget that all and this goes generally all those call for a return to old normality our life is stolen we want our life back and so on and so on they are the worst possible expression of let's call let's what's the expression of the right wingers uh, 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 postmodern historicists Relativism, cynical irony, and so on and so on. Even in that unfortunate debate with Peterson, I insisted, and that's why I went there. I wanted to convince some of his partisans. I told them, You are afraid of postmodern moral relativism, historicism, everything is irony, and so on. Well, if you are critical towards this tendency, then overthrow Trump. Can you imagine a more postmodern in this sense only, President and Donald Trump? He was the ultimate cynical, relativist, ironist, and so on, and so on. So, back to your question, so that I don't lose track. Uh, in this sense, I think that what happened with covid It's not simply the origin of all evil, and it's not simply a medical, scientific problem. This is already ideology. But it triggered some process, which I think does announce a new stage of our social being. The options are clear. On the one hand is this new populist Trumpian barbarism, which we don't know how it will end even maybe in some kind of a new feudal society with safe zones, protected, local civil wars everywhere. It may end in new technocracy. This is the Bill, Ga- Bill Gates dream of the great reset, and so on, and so on. But we all know, and that's for me nonetheless unique, that's what fascinated me from the beginning. yes. Big countries cheat, they buy much more vaccines and so on and so on. Like, if there is a guy who is not anti Semitic, it's me. But just, it makes me very sad. Just look at what Israel is doing now. They have a record on vaccinating people, but West Bank Palestinians are practically excluded from it. But nonetheless, it is very important that uh, the great majority of people had to admit some obvious facts as principles, at least. First, that the only solution to COVID is some, ta- some kind of basic, basic health egalitarianism. We should fight against COVID globally, make vaccine to everybody as accessible as possible. Second thing, even when conservatives are in power, they had to make economic decisions, gestures, which, if somebody were just to propose them a year or year and a half ago, he or she or it would be dismissed as leftist madman, are you crazy, and so on. Even Trump had to do some kind of a very corrupted, and of course, tweeting the wrong way. It's a question whom he was helping, but nonetheless, some kind of universal basic income, checks for everyone, some kind of more active control of the state, uh, con- controlling, not the state, control over big industry, and so on and so on. So it is clear that we all somehow know that the tendency is towards something that we usually designate, I use provocatively the term communism, but you know why? Because everybody is a socialist today, I don't believe in that word. It's nice that they succeeded, democratic socialists in the United States, in rehabilitating it. But you know, what makes me suspicious is that I think that in some interview, my God, even... Uh, Even Bill Gates said, in some sense, I am a socialist. Yes, they mean just more social solidarity, all that bullshit, and so on. But basically, it's clear that this is the tendency. Now, I know what people immediately then reply to me. This is now when there is an emergency. But then, of course, regimes do this during big wars, and so on. But then, when things go back to normal, normal it's the old order of exploitation, and so on, and so on. My answer to this is things, I'm simply more of a pessimist here, things will not so simply go back to normal. First, there are all the mutations, long-term consequences of this pandemic, then other pandemics are on the horizon, then global warming will be a much greater problem So... (coughs) I simply don't see any solution outside some kind of social control over economy. Economy should become literally what Marxists said political uh, what Marxists said, political economy. I simply see this as a necessity and my point is that silently everybody agrees with it and even those who fight it are already reacting to it. It's a tendency of our time. We should face it. There will not be a return to normal although incidentally I know what we are being deprived of and I. this is my big obsession. I always try to understand the bad guys. Not simply dismissing them as neo-fascists and so on. Yes, they are that, But nonetheless, it's a mystified expression of some concerns which I understand. Like, uh, you know, ordinary people who claim we want our lives back, our freedom back, and so on and so on. Okay, it's clear. A simple analysis demonstrates that. What they want back are their middle class. Are their middle class privileges. And uh, first, it's not just lower middle class. It's not just that part of a white middle class which feels threatened. But they are also, as we know now, more and more discreetly supported by a considerable part of billionaires of the big Uh, capital. But nonetheless, don't underestimate the everyday, not reasonableness, I don't agree with it, but uh, the way this must sound normal to them, my God, American way of life means freedom to move around, you get drunk in a bar, you are personally, you think you are uh, free, you uh, have the right to own guns, to circulate freely, and so on, and so on, certain modes of socializing, social life, and so on. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't allow the new right to hegemonize this aspect. It's very important. That's the last thing, then I finish with my long introduction. The only point, not of sympathy, it's too obscene to say this, but of suspicion, and that's a dark potential. I'm not saying anything original. Many people said it. I will just try to give it a Marxist twist. You remember when Facebook and Twitter uh, uh, shut off, cancelled Trump's accounts or websites and so on? It should have been done. What I just didn't like is this specific way they did it. You remember, in the news it was uh, Facebook or Twitter uh, cancelled, blocked Donald Trump's site. Okay, who did it? Is there an ethical committee there or whatever? And this brings me back to my big Marxist point where I base my work on some... Italian Marxists who pointed out that, probably you know the theory, that today, not all, but a strong part of new big digital capital, or capital which organizes distribution, is moving back from profit to rent. My simple old example it has to be repeated again and again. How did Bill Gates become one of the wealthiest men in the world? It's not that he is extra exploiting his workers. No, maybe he's even paying them relatively well, but he did something that Marx didn't see clearly. He couldn't at his time as a possibility. He privatised part of our commons, of our common space. Not only in pandemic now, already before, we are now communicating, probably, I don't know, I am unfortunately, through Microsoft and so on. He owns part of our public media and for this, we are all paying him a rent. It's not the high rent, but it's from majority of us, so you become a billionaire. And this is the new thing now. Julian Assange was aware of this. This tendency of privatizing our commons, these new commons, not the old commons, the farmland uh, forests they did it in 15th sixteenth century classical case described by Marx, but these new commons, like if you communicate on the web, you go through Microsoft. If you want a more personal communication, which is no longer personal today, you tweet. If you want to buy books, other things, it's Amazon, and so on, and so on. So we should treat this, I'm not talking just about nationalization in the old sense, but we should establish some kind of private control. Other Otherwise, we will also end on that list. So what worries me is how Donald Trump was ex- excluded. He should have been, but it wasn't even clear who did it. Twitter did it. Sorry, who? Do they have some committee? What criteria? If we don't raise this question now, we will be next on the list. If nothing else, on because centrist liberals are now worried about Balance. Some Republicans, even some of those who voted for Trump's impeachment said, but we must have a balanced approach. There is violence on both sides and so on and so on. So the situation is here very complex. Not that I am in mean. any way. Let's be serious. Defending Trump. But I am not a great believer in Biden. But I've spoken too long. I'm sorry. You... No. No, no, you need like, my standard point joke. I have to repeat it, you know. Dress up as a lady and put uh, black leather and a whip, you know. much more like my dominatrix.
1: <laughs> the already 20 minutes in. So, I mean, Slavo, what, the late cultural theorist, Mark Fisher, who I knew, he died about four years ago, and he wrote a book called... Mark Capitalism. Fisher, yeah. Of oh, course, so he wrote a book called Capitalist Realism. And actually, and there's two points, so two two things I want to yeah. point. I mean, he, he said he was partly either paraphrasing you or Frederick Jameson. It's never been entirely hard. Yeah, to yeah. It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. It's
0: Jameson. It's Jameson. I refer to him. I must be very clear that
1: here. So that, that summed up the period he was writing about. I'm firstly asking, are we still in that period? And the second is linked to no. the point you made about... No. Well, well, great. One second, because I really want to hear you answer that. But the other is linked to it, which is about this new consensus you spoke about. Is there a danger? Look at, for example, the regime in Hungary or look at the regime in Poland. Hungary can't be called a democracy anymore. And what it is, is a right-wing authoritarian regime, which has raided some of the economic ideas of the left. They nationalize pension funds. In Poland, they are very pro-the welfare state. They have a policy of nationalizing finance called Polonization. Firstly, that point about... You know it, about capitalism and how how hegemonic mm. its ideology remains, but isn't the danger that in the aftermath of this a new right wing authoritarian statist form of capitalism could emerge?
0: Absolutely, I think that
1: I see the good some
0: good things about liberal democracy. We shouldn't underestimate them. It's nice to be able to have, even if it's subtly marginalized, your voice to be heard, plurality and so on. Don't forget that, for example, as critical as we should be on the Victorian England, But Marx was able to publicly organize the first international to publish there and so on and so on. What I am afraid is that this liberal, international, global capitalism, the way we knew it, is gradually being eroded, that it will be, and it's not just, don't focus too much on those countries, rather look for the same tendencies elsewhere. For example, what shocked me, did you read the news? I think yesterday I read it. I don't even know his name, and I don't want to remember it, but you know the murderer of Mahatma Gandhi? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know that now he was beatified in Hindu circles. There is a monument to him. They claim he did the right thing, that Gandhi was a traitor, because although deeply religious in in the Hindu sense, he always insisted on the equal rights of Muslims and so on and so on. So this is just another example of, I think, what is a general tendency, full integration into global capitalism, but accompanied by authoritarian state, which is not necessarily economically inefficient. I think that the new formula of successful capitalism is the strong cooperation between Big capital and the state. It's even not necessarily as ominous as it sounds. For example, that's the mystery of North Korea. The model of all it, as I often wrote, is he is the true origin of where, where we are today. You know, Lee Kwan Yew, half a century ago, the founder of modern, efficient uh, 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 Singapore. You know that Deng Xiaoping, when he started his reforms, he visited Singapore. uh, There in any public place, they show you this video. That's their moment of pride. And And he told publicly on screen, Singapore should be the model for all of China. And not that I am against China. I think they did in economy in some Uh, At some level, great stuff. They did till now. Now there are cracks appearing relatively very good against uh, COVID. Although, again, don't focus just on China. Remember that. Although, again, I don't like them too much. But remember that Taiwan is even more successful. Don't forget Vietnam very successful, and so on and so on. But what I'm saying is that in different ways, Putin, Russia, today's China, Turkey, even Trump, and so on, this type of capitalism is, if we just let things go there, under quotation marks, natural way, I think this is our future. But I would quote precisely them. As a proof of my thesis, I, you must know this, I always repeat this ben, ben, Walter Benjamin's phrase, which some people claim Benjamin even never put it exactly in these terms, but behind every fascism there is a failed revolution. It's, for me, it's an old leftist idea, but I think it's proven again and again today that that, uh, that uh, fascism is always, by definition, a reaction not against liberal capitalism as such, but against some leftist revolutionary potential. This is, I think, the true struggle that is ahead of us, which is why I also think, of course, we should make tactical or even strategic pacts packs with uh, left centrist, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> liberal Democrats fighting for LGBT rights against uh, racism and so on and so on. But at the end, we should set limits to it. For example, what I liked is that. Uh, the Democratic Socialists, the left wing of American Democratic Party, concretely Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, immediately said after the elections, now the peace is over. Now we have to strongly insist on our line because I've written about it already years ago, apropos Macron, I think. I'm very afraid of this, that the threat of this new rightist, authoritarian populism will be appropriated by what Trump calls, I don't like the term, the deep state, the liberal establishment, as the way to control more radical left. You know, like we allow them all the power then every four years or whatever, when they need our votes in a general election, they will say, "Oh, but listen, the enemy is now Le Pen, uh, Trump, whoever, and now we must stand all together to prevent the danger. The danger." And some of my ex-friends, like some Lacanians in France, even went so far as to accuse those who, while of course preferring Macron to Marine Le Pen, but just pointed out that Macron is maybe even the best, but the best within the existing establishment. You know what term was coined by Jacqueline Miller? Leteno Trotskyist. That they are who, who really, to use the Stalinist terms which are appropriate here, uh, objectively is in the service of right. We shouldn't surrender to this blackmail. More than ever, and that's the lesson that we should took from, don't you agree, from Trump? What's Trump's success? You remember when he was making uh, the first four years ago electoral propaganda? He uh, went more and more to this populist extreme. And uh, 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 some people in the party of us isn't he too radical? You know, this obsession, we must keep the center. No! He succeeded precisely by going to a certain type of fake, of course, extreme. We, on the left, should not be afraid with all the wisdom and moderation, but nonetheless, basically, we should be doing this. There are situations of great social upheaval, change, and so on, where it's a nice, properly dialectical paradox, where the only way to popular majority is to go to an extreme. An extreme, the extreme in this sense, doesn't mean some met-factional uh, leftism, but stating basically, honestly, your radical view. With Trumpism,
1: With Trumpism today, if we think about... I'd be interested to know how you characterise Trumpism, not least after the events in the Capitol. And what do you think? Do you think Trumpism was... You know, I mean, on the left, we think of history in terms of grand social forces, but Karl Marx has said men make their own history, but not in search yes. of their own Jesus yeah. Is Trumpism something so specific to the personality of Donald Trump? Or could it end up finding a far more effective authoritarian leader? I know. You're not practically
0: quoting that guy whom I know, who is a nice guy, Warren Montag, who whose life, whose vision, goal of life, and I I don't agree with him, but I mean it respectfully, is to bring together Spinoza, Louis Althusser and Hegel. (laughs) They are not such opponents, as it appears. And this was his idea. It's easy to get rid of Trump with his, as he, Warren Montag, puts it, uh, uh, cognitive limitations and all that. But what if we will, in the next stage, What if we will get a more pragmatic, ruthless, intelligent Trump? uh, In principle, I agree, but I would like to add two things. In principle, I agree in what sense. Do you know that already in reaction to fascism, Herbert Marcuse, popular when I was young, the great name of 68, Frankfurt School link with 68, I wouldn't say revolution, upheaval, mobilization.
1: He said he corrected,
0: but in a very friendly way. Immanently, Marx. You know, Marx's formula: first as a tragedy, then as a comedy. Marx meant, of course, Napoleon the first, Napoleon the third. Marcuse said, but what, what about? Isn't this the lesson of today's? Under quotation marks. I don't like this term: totalitarianisms first as a farce, then as a tragedy. And I think in some sense, not that it wasn't dangerous, what happened on capital and a lot of this Trump-Mass movement, they are still at the level of a farce, although they are discreetly supported by billionaires, but you don't make a real coup like this. What do you do? Occupy capital and then name a government. Uh, even in the interest of the ruling class, they would be disposed, dis- and so on. But nonetheless, uh, and this was what Marcuse had in mind, remember that throughout the the 1920s in Germany, basically till late 20s, Nazis, not neo-Nazis, they were the original Nazis, Hitler, were perceived as a farce. Now, the only thing I can answer to this is that it's not an objective fact. It's no determinism. Yes, we have to take that option into account and we should act now, not act surprised. Because, you know, it always fascinates me. You know who is for me the most dangerous among them? It's horrible this is and now I'm confessing to my private sins. I sometimes watch the podcasts of, of Steve Bannon, War Room or whatever, you know. He's for me the most dangerous pseudo leftist champion. You know that, for example, that's why he was thrown out of the White House. His idea was not lower the taxes for the rich, but raise them to 40% at least. Which is why even Biden said at some point, even if it comes from the wrong side, that's the right thing to do. He uh, he also uh, said that the way American regime was saving banks, that this is capitalism for the rich, and so on and so on. This is, I think, the most dangerous moment. And that's why, in spite of all his maybe limitations, but they are often quite physical, he's old, exhausted. I know it. I know people who know him. I'm talking about Bernie Sanders. I was always for him because he saw this absolutely clearly, that the only way for this democratic socialist left, whatever, to gain more influence is to avoid this typical Biden effort of not to lose the center. This, no, we our target, Bernie said at some point, should be precisely those threatened white, not only white, but also poor guys, or not yet poor, but threatened with new poverty, who otherwise would have voted for Trump. And here, I'm repeating an old poem, but I like to repeat it. We should go to the end here. As I already said, Trump, we should appeal to these people precisely in their sense of everyday decency and so on. Uh, You know, uh, we should tell them, listen, I understand you. You don't like postmodern historicism, relativism, so turn away from Trump if there is a guy who embodies not in Nixon's cynical sense Richard Nixon's but in some basic sense common decency sense for justice and so on moral majority even sorry it's Bernie Sanders I think we shouldn't be afraid to play this card that's the only way to beat the danger that you Mentioned
1: the danger of first as a farce, then as a tragedy. Yeah. Joe, Biden, Joe, Biden. Joe Biden. Someone put a question to me to ask you. What uh, this is from Pippa Tandy. What good will come from Biden? I suppose there's two things. What do you think, Bidenism? will be? Will it just be an attempt? Because it presented itself as a, a return to a, a long-lost normality, a, a pre-2016 idyllic era as far as a lot of centrists were concerned. That wasn't the reality for millions of Americans. Hence partly, yeah, of course. But secondly, do you think the American left, because the American left is a political force now, in a way it wasn't previously, so the standards That's very changed.
0: important. and So may I interrupt you and then immediately give you the is my point? You see, that's the only reason that I did the thing which cost me more enemies than anything else. To say I exaggerated a little bit, I mean, I admit it. To say Trump is better than Hillary, Trump introdu- without Trump, I doubt if democratic socialism, what they call like this, would gain such a force in United States. Because also, don't forget. Another thing, also with COVID, you know, we should learn not in a cheap manipulative way, but we should learn in a proper political way to I don't like the word exploit, but to deal with COVID. Because on the one Trump towards COVID, it's a very interesting antagonistic relationship. On the one hand, it was basically the pandemic which ruined Trump. I'm afraid that without the pandemic, Trump would have won, again, even in a relatively easy way. But on the other hand, I think that that uh, Trump's, what should they call it, anti-cognitive in the sense of don't worry, uh, in the sense of dismissing all the big problems that we are facing today, to, as part of a conspiracy theory, to some enemy. Like, what are the fears for ordinary people? China, unfair competition, pandemic, uh, global warming, uh, racial unrest, and so on and so on. this, instead of confronting this problem to to dismiss them, then you get the leftist paranoiac theory. And I don't think by far that the battle is lost here. But sorry, I interrupted you. Please go on.
1: Well, no, I mean, that's exactly exactly. exactly. the concrete leverage the American left could have. I mean, it's been reported, well, we know that Bernie Sanders is likely to become the Senate Budget Committee Chair, so powerful position. The so-called squad of progressive yeah most famous Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, but now revitalised, Cory Bosch, is a new addition, and they're obviously riding a the wave. There's a wave that they've ridden. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, what's interesting is younger people. It, there's often this misconception of younger people. They're they're, they're more likely to be attracted to left wing politics. Yeah. Than the university of life schools and not true. I mean, in the 1960s, the most pro Vietnam War generation were the young. The most hostile were the old. In the mid 80s, the most pro Reagan demographic with a young in america you know, i know this
0: from first hand. in late 80s sorry to interrupt you but i cannot resist it <laughs> in the
1: early 80s um, uh,
0: sorry late 80s early 90s i think said for the first time united states and i also visited berkeley the symbol of 60s uh, and i was told that the paradox is that the professor 20, 30 years later, a typical professor, not majority, but the most active part were the old 68 leftists. And it was no longer the old conflict, radical leftist students protesting uh, 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 conservative pro-Republican professors. It was the other way around. Professors much more leftist than students. Sorry, go on.
1: Yes, but guess in terms of the leverage the U.S. left is going to have, how yeah. much, some will argue that actually Joe Biden, you know, he relied on the votes of Bernie Sanders supporters in order to become president of the United States. Yeah, but a lot of votes he
0: also lost. Did you read, sorry to interrupt you, it's my nature. Did you read a good analysis, a little bit boring Too many data, but nonetheless, a good, did you read a good analysis by Mike Davis? who yes. demonstrated also a surprising number of blacks, Latinos, even women, how the Democratic Party alienated them. But okay, go on, sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, I just mean in concrete terms, how much leverage do you think the US left will actually will actually be able to have? How many concessions do you think they'll be able to extract from the Biden administration? Or will the Biden administration just triangulate, take their votes for granted, but give them very little material in, in 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 practical material sense, I I
0: say that on the one hand, uh, one should of course be pragmatic. I don't like these pseudo radical leftists who secretly even prefer that they lose and then from that safe academic post they can write complex analysis is what mistakes we made. Yes, we should be pragmatic, but not too much. You know in what precise uh, sense. Listen, the fact that now Democrats had uh, even less of a majority in the Congress, but the number of so-called radical socialists is larger. They did very well when they were candidates. So, One can predict what will happen, probably, in many cases, that uh, Biden would not be able to push a certain measure without their voices. He doesn't have in Congress enough of a majority. And I think... Democratic socialists, whatever you call them, should ruthlessly exploit this. No, you cannot just count automatically on our support. We don't accept this game to the end, you know. Oh, sorry, Trump is ultimate evil, so whatever you do, anything, we will forget about our principles. No, in short term, this may work, but in the long term, this is a catastrophe, because I believe in just a little bit of historical memory. Somebody has to be consistently telling the truth. The truth should be heard about the need for a more radical change and so on and so on. And the most dangerous are situations where nobody is telling the truth. Listen, I had debates with some let's call them conservative liberals. And even they, I was surprised how after the show, when you, I don't like long meals, but just take a drink, they take a beer, I take a Coke, and so on. And uh, they told me, I, the usual answer I get is, no, you are a dreamer, but yes, in some sense, you are right. It just cannot be done now. You know, so many of them, Admit it. They just have some worries, or as she is now uh, uh, full age, a couple of days ago she was 18, I think, Greta Thunberg, no? Mm -hmm. I called her, she said something very nice. She said, till now, that those in power want to tell us about ecology and so on. We are doing all that's possible. Well, our answer should be, sorry, it's not enough. Let's do the impossible. By impossible, of course, she doesn't mean magic. She means impossible within the existing socio-economic and political context. We should, in this sense, be more radical. Don't accept the coordinates of the global situation the way it is. We have to be to begin to change it, because, as my good friend Alenka Zupanchich noted a decade or more ago, what is possible or what is impossible today is ideologically overdetermined. For example, it's We are bombarded in the media by these news. It's possible neural link, our our brains could be completely uh, transparent, interact directly with computers, we can have prolonged lives, whatever, uh, travel to other planets, that's possible. But to raise taxes, to give 5% more money to healthcare, no, that's impossible and so on. In this sense, we should do the impossible. If not, then I'm afraid we are lost. If we don't follow this line, even if it means not gaining power now or being sidestepped, manipulated, then I'm afraid that that's a scenario that you hinted at. You know, that a new Trump, which I think will still be a demagogic clown, but more intelligent in the sense of, Uh, uh, organizing the background support of of state organizations like secret police and so on, of big capital and so on, may really come back. Because, again, Trump is specifically an American phenomenon, but it's um, an American expression of a global trend today. Don't have any illusions here. Europe is just relatively lucky till now. It's clear, that's one of the few, I wouldn't say good news, there are no good news, but news which at least allow for some cautious optimism, that neither France, nor Spain, nor Germany, and so on, at least for the time being, in none of these countries, this populist radical right can raise above I think the limit is 30%. And I think that that's why political struggle is important. Even in the United States, I read, I don't know who did it, an analysis, this is for me the true danger of the United States, where they did a big opinion poll among the Democratic Congress member and ordinary, sorry, Republican Congress members, uh, uh, ordinary, and asked them what's their stands towards what happened in capital. Almost half of them supported the violent attack on capital. Now, if you do some simple mathematics, this means, and extrapolate, this means that United States have now around 30 million of people who consider A scenario like attacking the capital, which means right-wing mob in all its brutality is legitimate. And again, the problem is, and I think, will they survive the demolition of Donald Trump? Unfortunately, I think they will. And I think that, but the battle is not lost for a simple reason that pandemics, other struggles will go on. And I hope, maybe I'm too, in a too crazy way uh, pessimist here. I think there will be, again, new, problem, new problems, global warming. Are people afraid that people associate global warming with, yes, some forest is burning a little bit there, and oh my god, the last summer was a little bit hot. But did you or some of your viewers read my text? where I quote uh, a certain analysis which really shocked me. Germans began it with it. When Berlin was totally bombed, 45, also most of the plant's grass was ruined. So they thought, oh, no problem. In a couple of years, Berlin will be green again. Yes, it happened. But another species better adapted to this horrible uh, post-bombing condition a lot of dust in the air and so on, recapture the space. The same is happening now in on the American West after the bushfires. The same is happening in Australia and so on. So nature is already radically changing. I don't want to raise panic. All I'm saying is we need some transparent social control, not panic, we are lost. Panic is, for me, a typical perverse position of enjoyment. People secretly like panic because it means let's just watch the world falling down, falling apart. I can't do anything. But you know what's my answer here? Sorry if you know it. In Chile, friends told me that when there was the explosion of unrest in 1919, you know what was their slogan? Not No, if we take over, the world will not fall apart. But we want another end of the world. (laughs) That should be our slogan today. Yes, the old world is falling apart. No return to normality. And we have to accept it, but accept it as a chance. There is a chance, and you know why? Not because I'm some crazy optimist, but first... Again, the pandemic itself, isn't it obvious? The pandemic itself is not simply a <coughs> biochemical or whatever process. No. The pandemic is also a socio-economic process. And there we have a space for political activity. You sh- we should never forget this. And so it's Again, I repeat my point, which I've written at least ten times, but it's important. Th- uh, one trend is this, populist denialism, oh, it's just a plot, it's really not so dangerous. But another threat is a threat of si- science, but in a bad sense, science in the sense of, now, at this moment, In a state of emergency. So let's forget about all ideological divisions, our political struggles. We just have to focus to beat the COVID. And it's a scientific problem and problem of rational administration. So stop politics till some kind of normality is restored. This is the worst imaginable mistake at this point, where again capitalism is already changing. It's incredibly how in the United States, as we know, class divisions exploded, Uh, uh, the the very rich uh, became even more rich and and so on. Uh, We know the story, no need to repeat it. But what I think is that we are not in an emergency state in the sense of we should all just deal with this emergency and forget about politics. Even more than 68 now we live in a political moment.
1: Just finally, Just finally. I've got a question here. This was put to me by Mark Jubb, who was very excited about me, me interviewing you. And he said, how can your concept of violence, which he you wrote a book about, how could it be useful in better understanding the changes in the world due to COVID? And, and this is partly you've covered, but what are your predictions of what a post-COVID world will look like?
0: Uh, about violence in contrast to what some people think and maybe even what uh, what I, in maybe some of my unfortunate formulations, triggered. I am not in any sense for violence, especially not today, where here I, at least to some degree, uh, agree with somebody who is not very popular now but I still think he was she was onto something Angela Nale who said that you know when I was young she refers to that period the discourse of those in power was the discourse of peace, law and order, dignity and so on and we the left like to act provocatively, you know, you do like this in front of the camera, you use your scene words and so on. No, no. Now we are at a in a moment where, and this is in some sense a good sign. It gives us a chance. Now we are in a moment when the right wingers, Trumpists everywhere, more and more had to rely either on this state half-violence, it's not direct violence, but it's state exerting brutal non-democratic control, Poland, Hungary, and so on, or even on direct violence. That's why when people tell me, you sound so pessimistic, give me one good example. I tell them it's easy. Bolivia. Wasn't this a triumph of, I'm not a great lover of just free elections, Many things can be done on behalf of uh, protecting democracy. But look at the miracle. The right wing did a coup. And even in those difficult conditions, when the, the right wing regime controlled the state apparatus, the Morales forces, the third man, people usually talk only about Evo Morales and and Álvaro uh, García Linera, whom I'm honored to know, a great guy, serious theorist. But I now discovered the third guy, Lucio Arce. He was during all the Morales years, first, then, twelve, whatever, in power. He was Minister of Economy, and he defined itself as a socialist technocrat. Wonderful definition. And he just reminded people again and again, admitted. These tears that I was Minister of Economy, the average people in Bolivia, you never had, in spite of all foreign attempts to destabilize the regime, you never had it so, so good. So I think that today, of course, at some point, we need violence, hopefully in a not physically violent way, but... Uh, general strikes, mass demonstrations, whatever. But I think that all these Trump stupidities are the truly violent. No, today we are in an epoch where the right, this new populist right, is the only serious threat of violence. We should always remember this and not accept this old liberal trap to us leftists, ah, how far are you ready to go? We should tell them, what are you talking about? The new right is already overstepping all the legal uh, legal limitations and so on, no?
1: Savoy, an absolute honour, yeah. very, very wide-ranging, as eloquent as ever. It's a huge honour in these turbulent times for, for you yeah, to... Yeah, but can I be
0: totally cynical in my sense that I sometimes, I sincerely apologise, talk so much that aren't there some TV series where, you know, the episodes are just uh, a quarter of, quarter of an hour long, you know? Well, <laughs> you could have watched one of the, these episodes through my uh, longer...
1: <laughs> I think it would be physically impossible to cut this down, but also an act of cultural vandalism. So we're not going to engage in it. We're going to keep the whole masterpiece, which people are going to appreciate. And uh, so thank you so much for joining us.
0: No, I am really, really grateful to you. And I mean this sincerely. I'm not involved in kissing the ass business of flattering public persons, but I admire, you are doing the right thing. You do get through your radical message, but you take care, you do it in such a reasonable, pragmatic way, and here, I, if anything, uh, uh, I uh, blame myself that often I get carried away through some unfortunate uh, formulation, so please please Stay alive, go on working.